friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, we are back with another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. This is a podcast brought to you from the good folks at Blue Door and the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Let me tell you a little bit about my organization, Blue Door. I work with people that are far more talented than myself, people on the front lines doing work around housing, uh, keeping people healthy, getting people into well-paying and meaningful work so we can prevent homelessness. They do that all in the area of York region, Durham region, Peel region, and I'm all north of Toronto. Um, they're doing great work. We have a new 18-unit transitional housing building that was built by the region of York, owned by the region of York, and it will be operated by the good folks at Blue Door. That is for uh, single men. It's a beautiful new building, very efficient, very affordable, very supportive, all the things it needs to be, and that is opening as we speak. And what's happening at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness? Well, listen, we're doubling up on podcasts. As you'll see, we're doing two a week because we have some incredible presenters that will be at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness Conference happening in the beginning of November. If you haven't signed up yet, make sure you do. It is the best of the best uh, at this conference. It is being held this year in Toronto. First time in person, of course, in the last couple of years for obvious reasons. If you can't travel, don't want to travel, they also have a virtual option as well uh, for you to check out all the wonderful speakers there. And I'm going to talk about a couple of those individuals today uh, happening as well. Hey, listen, if you want to become a Built for Zero community, if you want to find out what that is, what's all involved, go to cah.ca to check that out uh, and learn more. And as well, learn all about the different supports they can provide across Canada and beyond. If you want to check out my organization, go to bluedart.ca and see some of the cool stuff happening there. But let's get on to our guest for today. You know, we are, we, we have not one amazing guest, but we have two today. Uh, they're going to talk about a little bit about who they are, the work they're doing, what they're going to talk about at CAEH uh, and beyond. And we're going to learn a heck of a lot today. So with me today, I have Dr. Cynthia Pudu. Um, and Dr. Pudu has been a faculty member at Great Mackinac University since 2001. So 21 years of educating people, which is awesome, specializing in health promotion and community health. We are also joined by uh, Cheyenne Grayeyes, who is a research assistant working on decolonization transitions from care and much, much more. We're going to hear, I'm not doing justice, you're going to hear from them what brought them into this work, what they're working on, what they're passionate about. Uh, Cheyenne and Cynthia, welcome to the show. And I'm having I'm having audio issues, so hopefully you can hear me. Loud and clear, Cynthia. Okay, good. My headphones decided to die. <laughs> Always at the right time, right? Yeah. So welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you here. We ask the same question to everyone who comes on the show because it's a little bit different. It's very personal for everyone with some similar themes. And I'm going to ask it to Shea first, and then Cynthia, if you can answer after. Shea, what does home mean to you? When you think of home, what does that mean to you? Oh, home for me is the idea of rootedness, of grounding, of belonging, of safety. Home to me is a lot different of a concept to housing. Housing is very structural, um, but home is a feeling, a sense of place of where we're being. And for me as an Indigenous person, home is so like intrinsically linked 
with the land, the land is the home. Like whenever I introduce myself, um, in Cree, I said my name, but I also grounded you to my home, my, my traditional lands. And so that to me is a massive part of defining home. And so I explored that like a lot within my work, um, like what is home and how that differs from an indigenous, but specifically like a Cree perspective, so. Beautiful, thank you so much. Cynthia, your thoughts, what does home mean to you? Home, uh, well, I'm uh, Italian. My, my parents are Italian immigrants. So home to me means family and food and gathering um, and just being with uh, the people that you love and, uh, and the place that uh, brings you joy. So that, that in a nutshell is what home means to me. Very cool. Well, I'll tell you something that no one usually mentions at all and it goes back to what shan was saying is that is the structure people don't talk about the four walls the roof that they do talk about the feelings they have when they are at home and you both did that wonderfully so thanks so let's talk a little bit about your work who you are what brought you in this sector tell us a little bit of your journey cynthia we'll start with you and then we'll go over to shan so uh, i i been working at uh, Grant McEwen University for many, many years, and uh, our university is very close to uh, several, we're in the court, downtown core of Edmonton, and so we uh, are very close to a lot of uh, agencies that serve uh, people that are unhoused and people living in poverty, and we're very close to a lot of the people that are unhoused uh, and in uh, doing some of my work with students working in the community started to connect with those agencies. Um, they were rebuilding uh, uh, NHL arena downtown, and lots of gentrification was happening. So um, the community partner I worked with at the time was really interested in understanding how that gentrification was impacting people's lives. So I started a project working with youth uh, that access those services to understand how the gentrification was impacting them, but it really led down to the path to systemic issues uh, that perpetuate houselessness. So I, I started to dig deep into how uh, settler colonialism and neoliberal ideologies really um, create uh, the conditions that that uh, perpetuate homelessness, right? Houselessness, um, you know, poverty, lack of affordable housing, financialization of housing that leads to, uh, you know fewer affordable housing units and those kinds of things. And, and, uh, and, and then also the issues of, uh, you know, settler colonization and how it's impacted Indigenous people in Canada. And so through that work, I connected with Indigenous youth workers who then started to work with my current community partner, Nigan on Housing Ventures. Um, and uh, they said, you know, we've got this new project going where we're looking at um, housing youth that are transitioning from the foster care system uh, indigenous youth that have lost their connection to their culture and to the land. And uh, and so they're creating this new building where they will be uh, in a multi-generational unit that's going to be, uh, you know, they'll be surrounded by culture and reconnecting with their culture. And so that's how um, I am in the project that I am now working closely with uh, wonderful Indigenous knowledge keepers and elders and uh, wonderful students of mine that are Indigenous. So I'll leave that there. Uh, and about myself, um, yeah, I started off at McEwen University. 
um, back in 2018. Um, and that is where uh, I met my elder who I mentored under for several years. Um, and she really taught and grounded me in um, indigenous methodology and methodologies and research and really like expanded my worldview from what I knew before while alongside with um, my academic education, I've been largely focused on intergenerational trauma and how mental health um, all interacts with that. So I am a psych student. I'm in my last year of my undergrad um, and uh, uh, with an anthropology and sociology minor. And so for me, that's kind of like that connection of like, how is culture connecting to our society? How is that all impacting on our mental health and how are individuals all operating within it? And, um, and then coming from an indigenous perspective. So that's kind of how I started off and then uh, and I joined Cynthia on decolonizing transitions out of care with um, Niganan Housing Ventures. And it's been a really fantastic continuation of, I would say both my ceremony and traditional education and my academic ed education of um, the bonding between those two worlds, right? Um, how do we get individuals to the place where they can practice their culture and how is that impacting other aspects of their life? And so with this project, I've had a ton of opportunities. Um, we recently just uh, got word that our paper, What is Home? Wisdom from Nehio Wewin will be published in the Ras Radical Housing Journal uh, this December. So I'm very excited about that. And um, it's, again, a continuation of these ideas of connecting Cree methodology, Nehio Wewin language um, to aspects of home and housing and making these connections, something that's talked about in indigenous communities, but hasn't really made it to the forefront of the housing um, conversation. So uh, overall, I had an amazing time with this project and um, really hoping to see myself continue to expand and grow. And, the, in, uh, and we presented last year's uh, at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness um, on our What is Home Wisdom from Neho Wewin. And again, this year, kind of a continuation talking about land, land back and like practical applications of land back and how it connects to housing. So very exciting stuff. Wow. And just listening to you, I have a lot of hope for the future. Um, I'm very old, so I, I, I'm not the hope moving forward. You are. Uh, very cool. I want to go back to something you said there, too, mm -hmm. um, so people understand and our listeners understand. Can you talk about the importance of mentors, the elder mentoring, and, and what, what kind of a difference that made for you? Oh, I would love to. Um, so uh, her name was Roxanne Tatusis. She passed away last year, um, and she was integral to my foundation of who I was and how I thought. Um she taught me how to, just the importance of mentors alone. They've lived so many more years than you have and have seen a lot more. Like I can only talk to this perspective of when I came onto the scene, of when I started to learn about housing issues and housing crises, which is nowhere near as long as people who have been um, talking about these things, experiencing these things most of their lives. And so having a mentor to ground yourself, not only in the past, but also the future is so incredibly important. And it also goes back to like 
uh, in traditional Indigenous teachings that in our way of life, a young woman would have been paired up, like I was, with an older woman so that we could be taught um, our stories, our oral histories, our cultures, our traditions, and our songs. And we were said to have spent close to upwards of sometimes five years to a decade with that old woman as a part of our maturing process. And so for me, it's an integral part of reclaiming my culture and to have been able to have that experience and to be grounded in those traditional places first as I walk into academic spaces really gives me like a unique perspective and I owe it all to Roxanne Tatusis and she really was um, a bold person in community that was well loved and well respected and well educated and um, no uh, really having mentors uh, made or braid, made, made or break this process for me. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, you are all presenting at CH, as we've mentioned. I think the name of one of the sessions, I know, Shan, you're, you're doing a couple, right? Uh, Preventing Indigenous Youth Homelessness During a Global Pandemic. What can you tell us about that presentation? So I can uh, I can talk about that. Uh, really, what we're doing is we're, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the the project. So Omamu Wangogamek, as as uh, Cheyenne has talked about, is it's a housing uh, initiative where there's uh, it's multi generational. There's young people living there. There's single moms. There's kukums and mushums and the elders on site. And they're, uh, you know, the the point of that is to provide them with affordable, stable housing. Uh, and with those cultural supports. And, um, and we're working very closely with uh, the uh, former CEO, Carola Cunningham. She's just retired and they just announced a new CEO, but we're, we're working very closely with Carola on this project. And what we're doing is really documenting the process, the process of um, getting housed in this uh, initiative, the process of reconnecting with home, and reconnecting with the land and their ceremony. And so what we're going to be talking about um, in this presentation is really that process. Um, what was it like to start this initiative? It's really new. It only started in 2020 during the pandemic. It started in the fall of 2020. And so we'll be talking a little bit about uh, what the, the project is, but also the challenges that were faced by both um, the uh, Niganan Housing Events Ventures and the Housing Project because of the pandemic, and also um, the challenges we faced as researchers trying to create those connections uh, with the staff and the young people that were living there. Um, so, so we'll talk about that, and then luckily we are going to be able to talk about um, how things have been able to move forward in this past year. Um, in the first year, it was really difficult for them to get the young people to ceremony, um, to really do any sort of community activities, just because of, there were lots of lockdowns and lots of public health restrictions um, that were impacting them. And so in the spring and summer, and, and Shan was able to be a part of a lot of these things, um, there were a lot of, of uh, different Indigenous ceremonies that the youth and other um, residents from this housing initiative were able to access. Um, and a lot more community types of activities. So, so it's really talking about one, uh, what the project is, the challenges that we're faced, but also how things are starting to uh, improve and, and really able to start to make those uh, connections for the youth. Very cool, thanks. Shan, you're presenting something a little different, right? You're in a different yeah. one as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so um, <clears throat> our conference, so this is done with my co-presenter, uh, Selena, uh, who is a reconnecting <laughs> Métis from also Edmonton here. Me and her have been working together uh, for several years. So this is our project baby together. It's called Wakotuin, um, Wikwewin, uh, and Land Back Practical Applications. So I'll just translate for you so that Wakotuin is that relationship, that relationality uh, that we are all related, and that is a, a core Indigenous teaching. And then Wikwewin, or uh, Wikwewin, is our home. Uh, our home together is the idea. And then land back, uh, practical application. So we will be talking about how um, <clears throat> kind of building a structure of resources uh, and potentially housing built around the idea of safety, right? What is the feeling of home that comes across so heavily for me is safety, right? I lock my doors at the end of the night and I feel uh encased in in my space right and i feel very safe and so that idea of well what is one of the things that uh is very hard to come by when you're living on the street and that's safety right and so how are we creating a very physical space for these places uh, for these people to come to where they can experience safety and it's kind of built off of uh two years ago uh we had a a uh, homeless encampment run here by um, the good citizens of Edmonton. It was called Pekawaywin, and it was shut down um, uh, for code reasons and other things. And so this project is built off of the idea of how do we um, continue taking care of our homeless people? Uh, and the homeless encampment was really well used. Uh, and so it was clearly a need that was trying to be met. It just didn't fall into legislation. No one official was running it. And so in that way, it was very easy to shut down. And so how do we build a space that continue the ideas of um, the activists here in Edmonton that are trying to do good work and have come up with solutions? So how do we just kind of push that idea further? And so our land back idea will be in comparison to the Manitoba or um, yeah, the Manitoba, the Winnipeg urban reserve that was just bought and has plans for. And it's kind of, uh, we'll be doing a case study of like, how can we get something similar here in Edmonton, but to serve the homeless population of Edmonton. Um, and it ties into ideas of treaty of reconciliation. It ties in uh, the calls to action, truth and reconciliation points as well, as well as the UN Declaration of Indigenous Rights. Um, so it's combined on both a current political, um, yeah, it's, it's tied into the uh, current political landscape, as well as case studies and how other projects um, similar to ours are operating at, you know, at their, at their current levels. And um, yeah, how we can kind of build that into Indigenous ideas and understandings of treaty, of home and belonging. So uh, sorry if that was a little bit convoluted. <laughs> I started at a weird spot in my explanation, but I am very, very excited about this project. And I'm excited to see how it comes um, across in the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and to see how other academics respond to this idea because 
um, there are natural limitations to this idea that we are presenting. And to, so to have um, an entire cohort of people who come from this background to look at it and be like, oh, if we tweak it here, if we adjust it here, um, then it's applicable. And so looking at practical land back applications and taking land back away from this very radicalized sense and grounding it as something that is possible and we can do and can be a part of indigenous resurgence. So. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. That's, that's awesome. And such, you know, it's such a big question that you're, you're tackling, right? I mean, I think that's one of the questions of, all right, we, you know, people are starting, starting to get a, a better understanding, uh, non-Indigenous people saying, okay, we've got to do, and it sounds like you're coming with some solutions or some thoughts around solutions on how we can push this forward with your land back presentation. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Very cool. Like, and, and I think you're going to have huge attendance there, uh, both of you. Cynthia, I want to go to you. You talked about, and I don't want to spoil your presentation, uh, folks. you got to go to the whole thing, and you're going to find out way more. But let's give a bit of a taste. You talked about some of the challenges of your research and the work uh, because of the pandemic. Can you expand a little bit uh, on that? And how did you get around it? Like, what, what did you do to try and, obviously, you pushed through? Uh, so, so this is a... It's an Indigenous-led project. We're guided by our knowledge keepers and elders that work with us, especially Corolla. Um, and it's it's community-based, which I, I I think there's synergy or overlap or whatever with community-based research and um, Indigenous research methodologies. And, and the big part of that is relationship building. And so how do you create relationships with people that you've never met when you're not allowed to meet them in person? Uh, that was a big challenge. Uh, we had a lot of Zoom meetings, uh, and luckily we had the relationship with Corolla to begin with. So I think that's a, a key thing that that's really important is to have you've got that one champion that can help get you into the organization. Um, but with you know getting to know youth, we we're going to be asking them questions about you know what was it like being in care, um, you know how how is it being here, you know really personal questions that probably a lot of them don't want to talk about with a random stranger. And so that's why that relationship building was so important. And so, you know, there were times, like there were months when the buildings were locked down where we couldn't, as researchers, get in, only staff and, and residents could, could get in. And so we um, tried to create ways to build those relationships. So uh, again, with Zoom meetings, I think one of the first meetings we had with the youth was through Zoom. And it was really awkward for them. You know, these a lot of them weren't youth that were doing online schooling or things like that. They hadn't really done a Zoom session before. So, um, and, um, you know, so we did a few of those things and, and actually Shan and, and our other research assistant, Selena, um, put together a Discord server to see if they could, you know, connect with youth that way. And that didn't have a lot of uptake again because it wasn't something they were familiar with. Um, and so, you know, we tried and we did persevere and we did push through um and it really 
I think what happened was we uh, created really close relationships with the staff because of that. Um, much harder to create it with the residents and with the youth. And so what we really found was when we were finally able to get together, um, to me, it really exemplified the, the importance of face-to-face -face interaction and being in person with people because it was so much easier to make those connections. Um, and the other thing that helped make us make those connections was Cheyenne actually starting to work there and creating those really close relationships. So if the one thing I'll stress and always talk about is with this type of work, um, both whether it's community-based and especially with Indigenous, um, working with Indigenous groups and, and Indigenous ways of knowing is the relational aspect and how important it is to get to know people and to create those relationships. So, so um, yeah, so I think we overcame it by creating relationships with a few people that helped us make those connections later on. Well, am, am I wrong in that it kind of it boils down to trust as well, right? Like what you're saying, you need relationships to create the trust, to do the work and ask the questions that you're going to ask for research. Yeah, it, it's it's for sure. I, I, I think from my community-based background, it's definitely that trust building, that getting to know. Um, I think there's also more to it, which maybe Shan can, uh, can expand on from that Indigenous way of knowing, right? The importance of, you know, I've, I have heard and been told, you know, Indigenous research methods is relational. So I don't know, maybe Shan can expand on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely relational. Um, I would say, yeah, the project really, really took off um, when I got to be on site as a youth worker. Um, and I kind of broke my youth work. Oh, and also, I want to define youth for a second because it's yes. kind of most people assume like youth group age, like grade six to grade 12. So youth in this instance, we are talking about above 18 to uh, 2930. And the reason being is because um, looking directly at transitioning out of, of out of care, right, out of uh, social services, um, child and family services. So that happens at 18, right? But you don't officially age out, Cynthia, is it, is it 22 or 23? It, it keeps changing. It's 22 it right changing. now. Okay. <laughs> feel like I don't have the right answer and that's why is because it, yeah. it keeps changing but that that's the reason right and so um, most kids will leave their foster home or their group home at 18 um, and then we'll stay on government related uh, supports until you know the age out age which is 21 22 23 24 that, that kind of range and so that's why our youth span is quite a bit older is because we're directly looking at we're looking at people who were affected by the aging out process um but it kind of expanded because since it's a generational housing unit you have kids of all ages quite young and then into your middle school years high school years and then also the target youth group and so not only on site was i able to interact continuously with the youth that would have been directed at our project originally i also got to interact a lot with the younger kids coming out of care or um, well, and they were also coming out of care, but because of their mums, uh, their mums were getting housed at Umamu um, and then going through the processes of sobriety, making their amends and doing all of that, and then making it through the processes to getting their kids back. So not only were we interacting with kids who were aging out of care, but kids that were getting pulled out of care. So it was a very interesting perspective and 
and a lot of celebration, especially when a kid comes out of care and goes back to their mom, um, a lot of celebration. And I would say that piece of relationality is because you get to sit there in their celebrations continuously. Um, many of the residents there have lived very hard lives, have been through accidents, addictions, experienced homelessness and abuse, and and all the other things that world has to throw at them. Um, but they're starting to experience their successes, right? Their first paycheck, being able to pay rent and not have to worry, having your kids come out of care, applying for your first time to university, um, you know, saving up for your first phone that you paid for for yourself. Like, they are making their accomplishments every day. And as a staff member, we get to be a part of that. We get to celebrate that with them. And you become a very integral part of their life. Like I actually just had uh, an ex-tenant message me and invite me to come celebrate their daughter's birthday with them. And that's very exciting for me to know that I played a special role in their little family unit, so much so that they're inviting me back. They're calling me back to celebrate this next accomplishment with them. And that piece of relationality of, of being excited for them is such an important part of building that relationship and having those conversations become easier and easier. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in a room with them and they're telling you their life story because they trust you. And that's what our research is supposed to be based on, right? Is we are getting them to talk about some hard hitting subjects, maybe some traumatic times in their life that could be very triggering, but to have that trust already built in a space where they feel comfortable to let that off their chest and give that to you. That's the space that we want. We want a helpful space. We don't want to re-traumatize people who have worked so hard to get to the space where they're at. Um, and so in that way, like 100% relationality, 100%. So, yeah. Awesome. Now I want to go back to people who you mentioned it and you say it really quick. I am going, so I say it right. Omamu Wan Gogamek. Can you talk to a little bit about, you said it really quick, they're part of that program. Can you talk about that program? What is that? Oh, so yeah. So Umamu Wangogamek is the housing structure. Um, so we work with Niganen Housing Ventures, right, which has several different housing units across Edmonton to meet several different needs of uh, the Indigenous people here. Uh, so, you know, we have uh, a shelter type building, we have a more intensive uh, support care living. Uh, so Omamu Wangogamek specifically is an independent support living generational housing. So um, we are more focused on long-term tenants. Um, so kind of maintaining a certain amount of, uh, um, sorry, what would that be? Oh, independence, yeah. Um, so the tenants that we work with do have a significant amount of more independence than, say, other tenants at other Niganan buildings and are working towards and getting farther and farther on their own independence to the point where they might potentially want to move out. And so um, it is, uh, yeah, and, and generational housing as well. So and it is a mixed uh, sober and non-sober living structure, although there are rules attached to that as well. Um, so it's kind of a space where they can kind of work on their long-term goals, whereas maybe some other housing structures in Niganan won't be as catered towards that. So that's kind of the goal of Umamu Wangokomik. And that's kind of why we were looking at it in terms of like a youth perspective is because we want to um, 
track and examine or or watch as their independence changes over the years as they spend time and live at Umamawangokamik. And uh, so not only, and that aspect of supportive living is that we would have um, programs. So uh, sober programs, AA, NA, but also cultural programs as uh, Cynthia mentioned, so uh, sweats, and other indigenous ceremonies. Um, and then we would also put on workshops that I would call like life skill workshops. So like getting your taxes done. Um, uh, oh, we did a driver's training, uh, that sort of thing. So we build programs that work on like cultural sobriety and then like continued supportive living independence, that kind of deal. Very cool. I want to go back to this is fascinating to me, um, the intergenerational piece, because I, I don't think that's being done um, around Canada, we hear that sometimes families, intergenerational families, because of affordability. But talk to me a little bit about how does that work? Does it work well with the different generations together in the same uh, same building, same program? Yeah, definitely. And it goes back to the question that you already asked: What is the importance of mentors? Right. Yeah. So we have uh, elders on site who uh, aren't paid like they're tenants and also employees at the same time but there are live-in elders so those are our elders but we also have older adults who live at the building and contribute to that generational knowledge exchange like i again mentioned before uh with my mentor roxanne tatusis of that importance of that knowledge exchange especially so say for example a kid who has come out of um a group home has lived in the group home for the last five years of their lives they haven't necessarily built up all the social skills that they need maybe not all the cleaning skills that they need uh depending on their education there could be some other skills and so kind of having that transmission of knowledge from those older generations to those younger generations those younger generations are able to look to the older generations and say well if they can do it i can do it like we've had tenants who have come out of uh, years of addiction and are experiencing sobriety for the first time in their 50s and 60s, right? And as a young person who is coming off the street has experienced addiction in their teens and in their 20s, and then be able to, at 23, to look up at someone and who has experienced 40 years of addiction, four times the amount of years of addiction that you have, and they are practicing sobriety in a good way, it's, you know, and, and they get to see that person every single day. So it's, almost like good living replicated, good living exemplified for the younger people, right? And it becomes a network of exchange of acknowledge because we all come from different spaces and all the tenants at Umamu Wangogamik have experienced different things and have gone through different things. And so they all have something to bring to the table. And so 65 odd people all living in the same building, practicing relationality with each other on a generational level, that exchange of knowledge is profound and, um, you know, works for some, doesn't work for others, but for the ones that are looking up to their older people, are looking up to their mentors, you can see how fast and significant of a change it, it, it started to make. And so that generational as well. And like, and how also having babies born into the building uh, is a, such a beautiful thing because you get to experience young mothers going through motherhood for their first time in a healthy way, in a supported way, right? They get to call up their neighbors and say, I need you to pop over, I need to take a shower. The network of people that are supporting each other, right? Keeping each other accountable on sobriety, on parenting tactics, on education, and they're all working together, uh, like together towards a common goal, which is getting better, 
getting to a place where they feel better. Uh, so it's kind of amazing to watch the energy at work. And can I can I just jump into um, of course. You know, if we're talking about you know I looked at examined what are systemic issues that perpetuate houselessness. Well, um, kids going in care, uh, kids going in care because of poverty, um, lack of supports. This initiative is really attacking all of those things, right? And trying to break that cycle because when you talk to people who were in care or unhoused very high likelihood that their mother was possibly unhoused and was in care before them, right? And you just see this perpetual cycle continuing. And so what we're seeing in this initiative is those kids aren't getting taken away because they have those supports with them. They've got that community around them that is supporting them. So if there is a need for the mom to uh, you know, deal with whatever it is, where in the past there would be intervention from Child and Family Services, um, now they can deal with it at the home now and child and family for services gets, uh, you know, they, they connect with them and, and they talk with them, but there's agreements that the child can stay there, um, you know, with other people in that community, instead of that child being removed from that community that they know. And so I think all the things that Shan was talking about that intergenerational communication and network and, and mentorship, um, they're all things that are really uh showing us how prevention can really happen in a true way and 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 again that um you know who's at highest risk of becoming unhoused it's young people out of care and specifically young indigenous people because they've also lost um along with those social those life skills that connection with their culture and so all these things are being addressed at this uh at omamu and gogamek amazing amazing i want to ask both you too when we're talking about preventing indigenous youth from experiencing homelessness how important is it to connect them to uh their ancestry culture and land i would say important for for many but not all because i'm careful not to make blanket statements of fix all solutions I think that's a very difficult argument to make in terms of homelessness because people experience homelessness for lots of different reasons. But I will say that it does have a massive impact and a positive impact for the most part at that. Um, for those who go into ceremony and get that cultural connection, that ancestral connection, um, sometimes it just it tickles that good place in some people's hearts and it you can see the improvement that it makes. And that is not the case with everyone. So I don't want to make that blanket statement that that's a fix-all solution. But for the youth and the people that I have seen make that reconnection, it is a powerful experience to watch. And I would say that it kind of, it did accelerate um, from my perspective, the processes that they were doing at Umamu Wangogomek because of how Umamu Wangogomek is kind of built on the foundation because it's built on that foundation of ceremony. When youth and other tenants would begin to tap into that, you just kind of saw like increased participation and they would also come around and come sit around our elders a lot more. It facilitated a lot more like conversations and relationships because they had questions and it kind of like rebuilt that excitement 
And from my perspective, it's just as valid of an education as going to university. And so that same excitement when a new student is around a topic that really excites them and they have a billion questions and they want to go talk to an expert, that's the same sort of feeling kind of watching these youth get really invested and then go to an elder and be like, I have questions and I and I want answers. Um, can you answer them for me? Uh, it's this kind of excitement that's really beautiful to watch. But yeah, it doesn't always happen with everyone. Some people are a little bit more resistant than others because they're like, I am experiencing extreme addiction and you're telling me that by going to ceremony, it's going to fix all of my problems. No, that's not what we're saying. For those that can participate and can participate to that level, you might experience like some significant change and some differences, but it's not the end all be all for everyone. But in, like, it's very, very important for a mama one gokumik because that's what it's built on. So it's the foundation, the starting place for a lot of us. And what we've kind of been noticing as we've been documenting uh, the experiences of youth and staff there is, is that reconnection is really, um, it, it, there's a process to it. And so for some people it's, uh, yeah, I'm good. Like take me to a sweat. And some people there's reluctance. I, and as Shan said, and for some people it, it's just not, um, it's not going to work. They're, they're not, it's not something they're going to want to do, but it's really, it's, uh, because I know even naively when we started this, for me, I was like, oh, right, we're going to see people go to ceremony and their life's going to change and all these kinds of things. And it really is, no, it's really just them, for some, just learning about it and then understanding that connection and understanding maybe what they've lost. Because, um, you know, if they didn't have that connection when they were growing up in in foster care system, they don't know what they um you know, what they are missing in their culture. And so by throwing them into that, it might, there, there's reluctance to it. And so, so it's an interesting process to see with the different people that we're working with and how, like Chan said, for some, it's been really successful and really helpful. And for others, it's just not for them, maybe at this point time and maybe not ever. Yeah, thank you both. I mean, I think what, so, so from, my time in the, in the sector, a lot of times when uh, we would place people in housing, if they didn't feel that sense of belonging, if we didn't do the aftercare and connect them to community supports, we might see them again cycling back to emergency housing, right? Where do I belong? I have no sense of belonging or connection here. I'm not connected to community. And that and that's very important, I think, in retaining housing. And I, what I hear you saying is, I mean, although it's different, and I love, Shannon, I'm going to borrow that, that fix-all. I like that term, but there's not one, but connection to your indigenous roots, your ancestry for many will be very important for others. Uh, as Cynthia said, it's a slow journey and it, they may never do that, but they might later in life. But that, that connection uh, is very, very important. And we continue to work on it. Well, an amazing conversation. You both are doing incredible work. I'm energized with this conversation. I wish I had a little bit of Shan's energy. You know, I, I would be a much younger man uh, if I did, it's uh, it's very contagious. Um, so if people want to find out and check out your work and find out more about what you're doing, where can they go? Uh, where can they get information? Uh, well, I think uh, I've got a Twitter handle and a very small group of followers. So maybe this will uh, <laughs> grow them. So it's at Cynthia Pudu is my Twitter handle um, where I do often share uh, a lot of the findings. Um, one thing I'm I'm lucky I'm working with uh, the Making the Shift Youth uh, Homeless Solutions Lab uh, with uh, you know Stephen Gates and Melanie Redmond and so they've got some really great uh, 
social media that when we release any of our work, they'll they'll also share it out. And so we are working actually on a series of vignettes um, with Nikon and Housing Ventures and Corolla that's going to share the story of, of uh, the work that they do. So we'll, I'll definitely be throwing that out there as well. Um, and uh, I guess people can go to my McEwen page at, uh, I don't, I, it's if they just go to McEwen University and do a search, uh, they'll be able to find the work that, that I'm doing. Shan? Um, <laughs> you can't find me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I guess I'm on Facebook as my name, uh, but okay. But realistically, you can find the paper that will be published hopefully very soon uh, in the Radical Housing Journal. Um, again, it's titled uh, uh, "What Is Home: Wisdom from Nehia Weiwen by Cheyenne Gray Eyes and uh, Selena uh, Vimpod. Um, so. Yes, that's mostly how you can find my work. Uh, I'm not super present on social media. And unfortunately, I, I don't have a Twitter account. Um, I don't I'll have to follow you, Cynthia. I didn't even know uh, that you had one. So um, you can find me at McEwen. You can come visit me at Kihia Watson. Uh, <laughs> other than that. Uh, yeah, pretty low key. Very cool. You know, and that is surprising. I thought for sure you were going to tell us TikTok and all the <laughs> you're far. I think you're, you're not of age, I think, yeah, like when I say Facebook, I have uh, uh, two of my daughters are like 21 and 19. I know, they, they cringe. They, well, Facebook, they're like, isn't that for old people? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so come on. Um, but yeah, so, so we'll, we'll steer people, check out this work. You've got to see it. And you know what? If you want to see it up close and personal, check out the sessions at CAEH. It's awesome. Cheyenne, Cynthia, thank you so much for the work you do. Uh, for dropping all this knowledge today and for coming on the show. It's so appreciated. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Hi, hi, Nanas Compton. Beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Man, you know, I learned so much today um, and it's fascinating and I love the work that's happening. It inspires me. I hope it inspires you. Day to day, if you pick up any kind of news, wherever you get your news, online, or the physical paper, or you watch the news on television or online, and we're bombarded by negativity and, and all the challenges that are there. And they're, they're very real. There's huge challenges there. But we have brilliant people like Cheyenne, like Cynthia, doing really cool work um, and, and, and making sure uh, that Indigenous youth are prevented from a lifetime of homelessness. It is so cool. Research matters. Policy matters. Uh, the energy in this this chat today was incredible. Uh, I hope you liked it as much as I did. And we'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.